This episode is sponsored by Bow Lake, the most beautiful paddle boards in the world. Visit bowlake.com and learn more. That's B-E-A-U lake.com. Bow is French for beautiful. B-E-A-U lake.com. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. For 170 years, the Swiss luxury goods maker Bally has been best known for producing some of the most beautiful and well-made shoes and leather accessories in the world. Born in the Swiss Alps, Bally's ties to the mountains and core to its ethos, sponsoring alpine adventures from Winter Olympics teams and early 20th century climbing expeditions, to creating iconic reindeer boots worn by Tenzing Norgay during the first ever ascent of Mount Everest in 1953 with Sir Edmund Hillary. Today, the historically traditional brand is in step with a new generation of discerning clients who appreciate Bally's tried-and-true techniques and consistent quality. In a move to boost relevancy and growth, Bally recently appointed LA-based superstar streetwear designer Ruigi Villasenor to oversee the creative direction of the brand. My guest on the Luxury Item Podcast is Nicola Gerardo, Chief Executive Officer at Bally. Nicola joined Bally in October 2015 and sits on the label's Board of Directors and Executive Committee. He has a 20-year-plus experience in fashion and retail distribution worldwide. Welcome to the Luxury Item, Nicola. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to do this. Exciting times at Bali these days. Uh, You know, Bali just appointed Luigi Villasenor as its new creative director to oversee the artistic direction of the brand. The 29-year-old Luigi is founder of LA-based luxury streetwear brand Rude and is one of the most in-demand designers around. How did you finally land upon... Ruigi after this long hiatus without a creative director? Oh, listen, this is, this is a funny story. Um, as you know, in, uh, in the creative process, we, we use mood boards uh, to design our collection. And in the last two to three seasons, uh, Luigi was part of this mood board because we like his uh, aesthetic, um, really balancing uh, luxury uh, aesthetics, but also street style. So he has been present uh, as a, an inspiration for, for the brand in the last two to three seasons. And um, after having worked on the repositioning of the brand, um, as you know, I've been appointed uh, three, uh, three, three years ago after the last two, three years I've been working on uh, the repositioning of the brand, on uh, uh, repositioning our offer, our communication, I felt that... Uh, it was becoming uh, uh, important to to appoint a creative director, and this is very naturally and organically that uh, I decided to engage a dialogue with uh, with Luigi because we simply uh, loved uh, his style. And this dialogue engaged last year, back in September. Uh, there's been an excellent connection between the two of us, between him and the brand, and this is very naturally that we uh, that we uh, decided to partner. Um, so, as you know, he's one of the uh, rising stars, you mentioned it, in the industry. And we love the fact that he's um, really an ID generator machine. Right, <laughs> and right. uh, also, uh, 
really a community builder and this is what we were looking for in order to be able to to bring the brand into uh, into a new era um uh, bridging this um uh, what the brand is known for uh, more the formal wear but also to what the customer are looking for today uh something that is more casual streetwear and um is personal aesthetic is really bridging these two worlds. And this is why we've been very interested uh, by his profile. On his side, he has a, a true love for uh, uh, craftsmanship, uh, beautiful objects. And he has been um, passionate about uh, our brand when he has been able to discover our archive, to discover also our, um, uh, our um uh, productions uh, and how we still manufacture uh, our shoes in uh, in Switzerland and the level of craftsmanship that we put into it. So, yeah, it has been a, a love story, and this is very naturally that uh, that we decided to uh, to partner. So I'm very excited, and uh, all the team that's surrounding me is very excited about uh, uh, observing uh, what you will be uh, coming with in. Uh, in the spring summer uh, for the spring summer 23 uh, season okay so that's the first that will be his first collection exactly exactly and that we will be showing uh, that we will be showing uh, in uh, in milan uh, next uh, next september it's interesting we're starting to see a lot more luxury players in the industry rethinking their business strategies and tapping creative directors with a background in high-end streetwear to appeal to younger audiences what does this shift overall symbolize to you about what's going on in the industry? You know, there's been a lot of comments uh, when Ruggie has been appointed uh, the helm of a, of a brand like like Bali, a brand of heritage, 170 years of history, very known for, for its craftsmanship. And uh, a lot of people have been commenting and been very interested about this company appointing a creative director that is coming from between brackets, the streetwear background. But I found particularly interesting the latest article from uh, one of the latest articles from Vanessa Friedman in uh, the New York Times. So it's in, uh, which is, uh, the title is why streetwear, uh, why streetwear is Dead. Right. And I think that this is very interesting that uh, now streetwear is uh, an integral part uh, of our industry. It's not only uh, a style for certain community, for certain group of age, for uh, a certain geography. This is something that is now across our industry and that really identify a, a shift uh, in our industry that shows a kind of uh, democratization, uh, accessibility, and also tapping into what is today culturally relevant. So, as far as I'm concerned, I have not tapped a, a designer that is coming from streetwear. I have tapped a designer that, uh, yes, has a background in streetwear, but that is much more than that today. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is part of their curriculum. And this is very interesting that the industry now is, uh, is, uh, is considering this generation that are bringing something fresh, something very new to our to our industry. No, as far as I'm concerned, I'm very excited about him uh, enabling us to um, to reach a new audience. Um, uh, because with his tone of voice, he would be able to 
to tell a story about our heritage, our, about our uh, values in a, in a much different way, much different fashion that we are used to, and in a way that will be relevant for an audience that the brand has been um, uh, uh, struggling to, uh, to tap. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited about this moment. And um, I think that uh, it's very interesting, the trend that we observe in the industry right now. You know, a luxury brand today is, of course, about heritage, craftsmanship, and creativity, but it's also about values. How would you mm -hmm. define Bally's values? You know, we are around since 1851. Uh, so right. uh, we have been <laughs> celebrating 171 years yeah. of shoemaking uh, in Switzerland. Uh, so this is something that is obviously one of our characteristics. We were born as shoemaker. We have continuously been producing shoes in Switzerland. This is something that I am particularly uh, attached to. Um, our Swiss made, um, keeping this know-how that uh, that we have in um, in Switzerland for for shoemaking. Um, but this is a brand also with, as you can imagine, 170, 171 years of history. This is a brand that has been able to continuously adapt, evolve. Uh, this is uh, one of the value uh, of Bali that goes very well with with Swissness, where if you associate, if you try to list what are the values that are the most associated to, to Switzerland and to Swissness, uh, there is definitively the innovation. And Bali has been able to constantly adapt, evolve, innovate in order to be to go through these 171 years of, uh, of history. Yeah, they're saying its storied heritage has been a real key narrative for the brand and often mining its heritage as an inspiration for any new collections. So how does... How does Bali do the great balancing act of blending the past and the future, you know, heritage and cultural relevance? Uh, as you say, this is a fine, this is a fine balance. Uh, this is a fine balance to find be between leveraging, hammering this heritage without being boring. And this is really where, where who Jesus is coming in, uh, in, in his ability to tell a story uh, about our heritage in a completely new fashion, in a new way, and to be able to decode the to decode Bali, to decode its 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 cause to to a new generation of customers, but also to to tell the story to existing customers, to our existing audience in a different uh, in a different way. This cultural relevance is uh, is particularly important, but there are also new elements that are that are coming, uh, and our our customers are demanding more and more for from their brands. There are certain topics um, that are must right now, uh, must have for for the brand, and I'm thinking of in particular to sustainability elements. Also, what we are doing around the diversity, equity, uh, inclusion that needs really to happen at every level of our of our business. So this is something that is important for us. Uh, but also very important to the next generation of, uh, of Bally's customers. So we have engaged in important effort to continue to be culturally relevant uh, beyond our core business. And I'm thinking in particular to, to efforts on, uh, on, on sustainability, on our corporate social, social responsibility in supporting the world of arts, for instance. We have, uh, now, we have been celebrating this year the 15 years uh, of our foundation for art and culture, uh, but also in education, and also in mountain preservation, we are talking about the Bali's values. And obviously, mm -hmm. as, as a Swiss brand, you associate immediately 
Switzerland with the mountains where we, we were born. So we also feel that this is part of our responsibility. So all these elements that are important to the new generations and which they are expecting a brand uh, to, be, to be very active. So this is, I think, also how you manage this cultural relevancy that you need to have as a brand, but also leveraging on what is true to the brand, what is part of its history. And you joined Bally in 2015 as chief operating officer and moved into the CEO role at Bally shortly before the pandemic struck in 2019. Luxury brands had to adjust their business strategies to solve the new challenges that they were faced. What was the state of Bally's global e-commerce platform at the time? And how aggressively did you have to accelerate your digital transformation? You mentioned that agent just uh, just before the pandemic, or I took over the CEO role just before the pandemic. In terms of digital, there's been a, uh, in a in a forced manner. Uh, there's been, but also it was strategic. There's been a strong push on uh, on digital. So we already had a, a solid platform at the time, uh, but we have been growing digitally very uh, very fast. To give you some numbers, we've been moving from. 11%, 10-11% of our sales online to almost uh, 30% of our sales online. Mm. Uh, so a strong push digital, but the strategic, but also forced digitalization of the company uh, has not been applying only on the transactional part. Uh, it has applied also on all our core processes. And think about uh, during the pandemic, we are not able to present our collections to our partners, to our wholesale partners. So we had to very quickly, because simply they were not able to travel. So we, we had to quickly put in place solutions to give them the possibility to experience our collection and uh, in, a, in, a, in a manner, in a fashion that is roughly uh, identical to the one that they have when they're physically present in our showroom. So we, we put in place a virtual showroom uh, extremely quickly that has delivered great results where our partners have been extremely happy with what we put in place where they were able to see the products with a high level of detail, 360 degrees to experience them, to have a great quantity of content also about the brand, about the new collections, but also to go through the more administrative parts or so really to have along the value chain uh, to have all the process being digitalized. So this, making an example with a B2B business and with our wholesale partner, we can do also examples. And the same as applied for the way we are presenting to our, uh, to our audience to press uh, our, our collections. Obviously, we have been expanding also uh, our e-commerce presence and opening new platforms. So since the 2019, we have been expanding uh, in China on, uh, on Timor, on the luxury pavilion. We have now a great presence there. And this digitalization also applies to the storytelling, to our investment online, uh, and also the integration between online and offline. Making an example, for instance, with the live streaming, that has been something that has been very successful, especially in, in Asia, that have, we've been launching, launching in 2020. We'll be right back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Nicola Gerardo. beautiful paddle boards in the world. Bow Lake. The water is calling. We're back with more from Nicola Gerardo. You know, there's an interesting phenomenon that's been going on 
in the past couple of years in the pandemic probably accelerated is the demand for luxury goods in the U.S. is such that we're seeing a number of luxury brands expanding within the U.S. that would be considered not primary markets, but very strong local markets like Denver and Troy and Scottsdale. These are new cities that have strong pockets of wealth. And you said in an article that during the depths of the pandemic, Bali was generating surprisingly robust online sales in these secondary markets like Austin and Houston. Would Bally consider expanding its retail footprint in these smaller locations? Absolutely. I'm not sure that it will qualify them again, <laughs> secondary market or, right. or smaller location. Uh, but um, definitively from a European standpoint, these are not the cities that you would consider at first that will come to your mind first when considering about expansion in the uh, in the US but you know during the pandemic it was very interesting to see where our sales were coming from and they were coming from area where we had no retail presence so we we really changed our approach uh, in order to understand where um, our customer are and where how to get closer to them digital is important uh, absolutely we are going through a digitalization but i don't think at all that uh, the store and the role of the store that the store is dead and the role of the store needs definitely to to evolve and being closer to our uh, to our customers is absolutely fundamental so we are i'm right now in the us i'm in new york and uh, one of the uh, purpose of the visit was to to seek for, for for locations and we are absolutely looking in this in these markets and as you rightly say pandemic has changed a lot of things i think that many people have reviewed the way they want to live remote working an impact they have been moving from big cities to smaller between brackets smaller cities so we have been observing um uh, and this is something also that has been reported everywhere in the press but this this uh, second tier city that have been uh, booming and this is something that we have been experiencing so we have for, for instance opened recently a new uh, a new store in uh, in miami in uh, in balarbourg and uh, this is something that uh, this opening also represents uh, where the brand now wants to uh, wants to be uh, in environments that uh, are not only a succession of uh, of luxury shops, but that are environment where there is a good merge and combination between art, culture, foods, uh, cultural engagement, and uh, to be in hub in lifestyle hubs closer to our customer because there is something also priority for Bali, but also. For the rest of the luxury industries to to tap the local the local customer. Our we know that our industry has been um, investing uh, heavily on uh, the tourists uh, that were a large chunk of uh, sales in the key uh, luxury cities in the world. And post pandemic, we know that the tourism is still struggling to uh, to recover. So we need to focus on uh, on uh, the local customers, which is more and more important. And these cities or these hubs in which we want to open uh, are representing our desire to uh, engage again in a better way with uh, these local customers. Yeah, and Bally opened three flagship stores in the last year, you know, one on Regent Street in London, one in downtown here in the Meatpacking District, and third one in Sydney's George Street. Are they all concept stores? You know, what is Bally's flagship store strategy? So as you said, we, we opened in 2021 three, uh, three stores, one in New York in Midpacking, another one in uh, London uh, in Regent Street, and uh, another one in Sydney uh, in George Street. Uh, so this, we consider these three stores being flagship stores. Um, in 2019 in Milan, in Monte Napoleon, we have opened what we call the Bally House concept. Mm-hmm. This is our new flagship concept that we, now we are rolling out. We want these stores to be much more than transactional. So the way the way we have designed these stores 
is to provide to our customers much more than only products on shelves, but to be able to have other kind of engagement with our customers might be talks in the stores. So for instance, we have uh, furniture that are flexible enough to be able to organize talks in our stores, discussions with uh, with, uh, with panels. We can have also a form of cultural engagement. For instance, in London, we had uh, art exhibition in our store. And this is a new way to engage with our customer. I'm a big fan of, and I've been promoting a lot digitalization in the company, but uh, the physical engagement and the relation, the close relation with our customer is absolutely fundamental. And in a world where a large chunk of our, the business is now digital and that you can get you can get from your iPad, your, your computer, your iPhone, you can get access to whatever you want from wherever in the world. You need to rethink absolutely the role of the store and what you, what is the purpose of the store. And one of the purpose to me is to engage on a completely different layer with our with our with our with our customers. So this needs to be to be reflected in in the design in uh, of our store. And this is what we try to do in uh, in the three stores that. Uh, that uh, you uh, you listed so meatpacking for instance that is in this cultural uh, hub uh, where you uh, you find much more in our store than just uh, product on shelves you were talking about china for a second before and china mm-hmm. is valley's largest market worldwide and you continue to invest heavily in multi-channel opportunities in that market and not long ago team wall luxury and women's wear daily named valley mm-hmm. is one of china's most innovative luxury brands. What is it about the Bali brand that makes it so popular with Chinese consumers? We have a very strong brand equity there and awareness as we have been one of the first luxury brands entering the market in the 80s. Um, there is a fact also that uh, our customer there and our audience really loves our Swiss heritage. What does it mean in terms of craft, in terms of leather craftsmanship and also quality of products so this is something that they are very uh, they are very keen on we have been highlighted as one of the brands performing uh, uh, the better um, physically but also digitally as we have heavily invested there uh, we have been one of the first brands moving for instance on uh, on luxury pavilion we believed into it and we invested and we had we keep this competitive edge being Having been one of the first brands adopting this um, this new um, this new platform, what what we have what we have done in order to to achieve that we have first and foremost reinforced uh, as a local team. Uh, this is a market that is uh, very different, where the technologies, where the platform are not the same as the Western world, and you need to rely on a strong local team to be able to guide you. Uh, and uh, this is what we have been doing in 2019 in reinforcing our, our team there. We've also been partnering uh, uh, with people, local people there, local agencies to guide us at, uh, at best. And we have been increasing strongly also our digital spend. You were mentioning, WW mentioned us, uh, one of the most successful brands on, on, on Tmall. And uh, we have been increasing uh, vastly our investment on this on this platform, but also, and this is one. This has been one of the key uh, key factor in uh, in adapting to the local demand and creating local content, creating local capsule. This is this has been something that has been uh, that has been a winning factor. I would say also that we have adapted. This is a market that 
has also evolved a lot. If I'm looking at uh, market Chinese customers, we're used to, to travel a lot. We have a strong presence in uh, in airports. With the pandemic, this has changed a lot, but also has created new opportunities. We all have in mind the Hainan, um, Sanya Island, where there's been a very strong um, duty-free business that has been uh, that has developed, and we have also adapted on that uh, in that uh, in that sense. Now, looking ahead, uh, in terms of priorities, we will continue to uh, really to adapt to this market that is uh, evolving, and we know the situation right now in uh, in China, which is a difficult situation with uh, certain uh, important cities still in lockdown. So we are adapting. Yeah. We continue to invest strongly on uh, on on digital, and we see also a continuous evolution of the technologies there, and continuous evolution also of the habits of our customer with uh, with platforms uh new platforms evolving and emerging every uh, every day last year bally honored its 170 year shoemaking history as architects of leather with a digital campaign titled my craft my legacy featuring the company's expert artisans the campaign featured a series of portrait photographs of the artisans alongside the instruments of their craft it gave the public really a rare opportunity to meet these craft people how did the idea for that campaign come about from a visit in the archive uh during the pandemic last year i've been doing a visit in the archive uh we have archives that are that are just incredible we are talking about 170 years of, uh, of history so we have more than 35,000 pair of shoes we have uh, incredible collections of posters of art pieces and um, visiting our archive i have stumbled upon these collections of of a photograph of, of photo, photography where it was back in the 40s where uh, Bali decided to photograph all its employees not in a it was an artistic project it was to pay homage to employees and I decided to reprodu- reproduce it uh, especially in a moment where we were in the middle of the pandemic where uh, I think it was uh, to pay a tribute to our employees in this moment very particular moment um, and especially the one, the, our artisans that are making the ascent of Bali, I think it was something that uh, beautiful to be uh, to be done. Something that we presented during uh, uh, it was back in September 20, and the feedback has been just great. So it was destined to be only a communication aimed at uh, more corporate communication, but mm-hmm. the, the feedback has been so great that uh, it became a customer-facing uh, communication. So this is how this idea came, and it has been highly appreciated by our artisans. They were all extremely proud to have their pictures, sure. to have their photos in uh, in our communication campaigns. How does an artisan-based business like Bally mix craft and new technologies like AI and robotics, and still maintain its Swiss-made reputation? If if you if you would visit our our factory, you would be extremely surprised to see the very high level of uh, manuality. Uh, in our uh, in our factory, um, we produce between 150 to 200,000 pair of shoes per year in Switzerland in our factory. Uh, but the level of manuality is still extremely uh, extremely high because this is also a guarantee of craftsmanship and uh, and quality. Um, but it doesn't mean that because you respect certain way of doing certain 
processes that have been been part of your tradition past uh, that you cannot innovate. And as I told you, Bali is a story of innovation, and there's been constant innovation uh, during uh, during this uh, these last decades. So AI um, is one of uh, one of the uh, innovation we are looking, for instance, at three uh, D prototyping. So today we want to develop a pr product. You have a sample prototypes, samples. How to replace that with three uh, D three uh, D modeling, three D proto prototyping? This is something that has a benefit in terms of creativity, as you can test multiple iterations of uh, color derivations uh, of materials. But at the same time, benefit in terms of sustainability. You avoid to produce a um, a product, um, and uh, you positively impact your, your footprint. Uh, in terms of uh, AI also, we are using AI to better forecast and to produce less, to have less leftovers for the same amount of uh, same amount of sales. So to me, tradition and innovation are not antagonists at all. Uh, what is considered to be our tradition today <laughs> very probably was what's considered to be innovation 50 years ago. So I want to talk to you about the metaverse, which seems to be on everybody's mind these days. So the metaverse is a revolution <laughs> in the digital world and luxury brands like Gucci and Dolce & Gabbana and Burberry have already boldly embraced it in various ways. So what are your thoughts on the opportunity for virtual luxury goods? And will we see Bally playing in this space? Well, first, first, personally, I'm trying to educate myself a lot and staying very alert. <laughs> <laughs> we are all talking about metaverse, but uh, I'm not sure that we are all very experienced into it. And personally, I'm trying to understand better and better what is what does it mean. So, to translate that, not pushing back at all on the on the opposite. I'm, we are very very alert and we are monitoring. Um, I think this is an opportunity for brands uh, to be a, to enter a new territory to tell new stories. Uh, however, uh, this needs to be done, in my in my opinion, in a, in a very meaningful way. We don't want with a team to to go into the metaverse or to get NFT if this is not something that is meaningful. And I don't want to do. Uh, we don't want to have any any initiative on that side that are just to be part of the bandwagon or, or, or that are marketing gimmicky. So we are alert. We are looking at. There are interesting things. Um, we have. We are promoting innovation and we have Bally Every Year is sponsoring an award, the Fashion Innovation Award. We are the main sponsor and uh, we are defining also where we want the startups to, uh, to pitch for this, uh, for this uh, Fashion Innovation Award. And last year, it was about uh, digital fashion and uh, augmented reality. And we have been presenting very interesting uh, solutions for brands to enter this, uh, this metaverse. So long story short, we are very alert. We are looking at it, but we will enter into it only when we will be finding something that we, that we consider to be very meaningful for our audience. And more luxury fashion labels are now turning to sustainable vegan leather alternatives made of pineapple, mushroom, mm. palm leaves. Mm. Last year, Bally launched a collection of eco-friendly products made from materials like vegetable tan leather and pomegranate dye. In what ways is Bally working to be sustainable? In many ways. Um, we, we, we have launched in 2019 uh, our sustainability roadmap. It started first with an assessment to understand where we, uh, where we are, where we were, and uh, building together with the team a roadmap to understand where we want to be. Um, and the starting point is really uh, the transparency. Uh, to me, uh, to uh, go on our website, you have our roadmap, you get our sustainability reports, 
uh, that are stating clearly where we are right now in the CO2 emissions. We have quantified also our targets based on the science-based targets to, uh, to, to know exactly the CO2 emissions of Bali right now. And we have taken commitments to reduce these uh, this emissions and this is phased uh this is phase so um, sustainability is really at the top of the agenda uh, i think that if we uh, look also at uh, our values and also connect with uh, with swiss values i think that um, business ethics is uh, is uh, is uh, absolutely a, a priority being for people but also for the environment so we are we are absolutely conscious that a greater transparency is leading to uh, also greater accountability so this is why we are we uh, we disclose uh, a lot uh, uh, we uh, we really want to be a part of the of the solution and not the problem we know that our industry unfortunately one of the most polluting industry um, and uh, we need to change that drastically so this is why in 2019 also Bali decided to be one of the early signatory of the fashion pact you know this initiative mm-hmm. that groups yep. um, fashion groups and fashion companies to get out of the competitive field on this very specific topic and to work together uh, across different uh, different objectives and one of the objectives is to, uh, to reach the net zero by uh, 20 uh, 2050 so concretely what we are doing uh, we have been moving and investing in renewable energies uh, today, 75% of the energy consumed used by Bali is coming from renewable energies, solar panels and so on. We're also introducing and we have a plan to increase more and more the share of sustainable materials in our collection. Uh, we have reached uh, more than 30% of materials that are considered as sustainable that we include in our so-called preferred material list. And all the product development team and the design team are are focused on that objective to season after season to increase the share uh, of uh, preferred materials in our in our lines. You 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 mentioned in your in your in your, in your question that we have been replacing uh, certain of our lines. There is our bestseller that was a line of men accessories that was produced with PVC that we entirely uh, redesigned and uh, replaced with uh, regenerated leather. To be on this topic, on this topic of sustainability, uh, we need to be very, uh, very concrete. And I wanted to give you two examples of uh, what the brand has been doing recently. But obviously, much more is to come. And we have ambitious objectives to make a better Bali being, uh, being greener. Since Bali's founding in 1851, the brand has instilled a strong sense of social responsibility to preserve the stunning mountain environments into which its own identity is woven. Can you talk about the Bali Peak Outlook Initiative, which includes cleanup expeditions to Everest and other Himalayan mountains? Yes, this is this is just an incredible story. Um, you mentioned Bali, born in the Swiss mountains, um, uh, historically has a bond, a strong tie with uh, with the mountain environment, and and sponsored many expeditions. Uh, and as you probably know, the first man on the top of the Everest uh, was Soren Mandilari. And Sherpa Tenzin Norge, uh, one of these two men was wearing Bali reindeer boots uh, during the first ascent of the Everest in 1953. And since then, Bali kept uh, with the Tenzin family a very strong bond, strong tie. And back in 2019, we've been alerted uh, by his son, by the by Jamling, together also with 
Uh, another connection of us with uh, Dawa Stephen Sherpa, we have been alerted on uh, the vast problem of pollution in this extreme mountain environment represents the Everest from base camp to, to summit. And we have been asked to help them to provide our assistance to do a first cleanup initiative from base camp to the summit. It was the first time that this was done. Uh, and Bali has provided assistance to this group of people that were committed to, very committed to preserve their, their own environment. Uh, and this is how uh, we uh, led the first Bali Pickout Look initiative, collecting two tons of garbage from uh, the base camp to the, to the summit. The feedback on this initiative was so great. Uh, it was so genuine because of our historical bond with this part of the world. Um, it was an initiative also that was so uh, highly appreciated by our employees and also our other stakeholders that we decided to, to continue and to have a long-term approach to incorporate a foundation, the Bali Picaoutuka Foundation, and that has a mission to preserve the mountain environment. So since then, we have we run many expeditions collecting seven tons of uh, garbage uh, from the base camp of the Himalaya in the Himalaya region, so Everest, but also the other uh, 8,000 in, um, in the region. We don't stop there. We have other projects uh, still in the Himalaya region, but also in other regions in the world, uh, always serving our, uh, our mission, the, the mission of this foundation to preserve mountain and mountain environment. So talking about, for instance, Kilimanjaro region or the Mount Fuji, always partnering uh, with local communities. This is something that is a, a key for this, uh, this, uh, this foundation. So if you were to put a title of this next chapter for the Bali brand book, what would you call the chapter? I would call it uh, Decoding Bali. And we, we discussed about that at the beginning of the podcast about uh, this um, this new creative director, and this is what really we are expecting, uh, where we are expecting him is to be able to tell uh, our history, our genuine history in a much different uh, manner uh, and to reach uh, a new audience to tell about this Swiss heritage um, that is embracing and to tell it in a, in a joyful manner, in a playful manner that reach a, a, new, uh, a new audience. So Decoding Bali definitely will be the, the title. So Nicola, my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation, of water transportation. It can't be anything that requires mobile service so you can call somebody to get you off that island. It's just you by yourself on this lonely island out in the ocean somewhere. What would that one luxury item be? you would like to have with you? Uh, without thinking twice, it would be, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would be an item that has a function. Um, so, and it would be my, uh, my camera, my Leica camera. I'm a big, big fan of photography. I, uh, I would definitely take with me my, uh, my Leica. Um, this is a beautiful object um, with a also a good parallel with the valley with a very high level of craftsmanship into it, uh, but an item that has a function and that serves one of my passions, which is, uh, which is photography. So definitely will be my, uh, my, latest, uh, my latest camera. I just hope that I will have also a computer in order to be able to see my pictures. Nicola Gerardo, Chief Executive Officer at Bali. Thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure.
That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.